Testing, testing. Still way too loud. Can you get Jamie? Can you please come get Ellie? Okay, let's try this again. You're listening to the Neurodivergent Nurse, and I'm your host, Jamie. I'm a registered nurse who has ADHD. On this podcast, we will talk all things ADHD. I'm really just beginning to learn about this diagnosis and how to navigate through it. But I am so excited to take you on this messy and raw journey with me so that we can learn together. So let's get started. Welcome to this week's episode of the Neurodivergent Nurse. I have this awesome, awesome woman here with me who we connected over Instagram. I feel like so many Uh amazing people that I have met and had the privilege to talk to over the past year, year and a half, that the connections have really been made on that social platform. And you actually are part of an organization uh, not just a big social media presence that you coach, you research with things dealing with ADHD. Uh-huh. How did you get into that? Yeah, so I was diagnosed at the beginning of my doctorate. So I've been an academic kind of going through the masters and the postgrads and all that kind of stuff. And then when I started my my PhD, I thought to myself, okay, I need to figure out if I have something. I thought it was dyslexia. That one we're still not sure on, but I did all the tests and they were like, oh, we think you have ADHD. And that was a bit of a surprise. I was like, what is? (laughs) I knew what it was because I'd done developmental psychology, but it looked mostly at ADHD in children at that point. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, that was a big surprise. And then from there, you know, it was a case of learning everything. And then, you know, as we do when we start, you know, I was doing my my research and I wanted to start researching ADHD specifically itself. So I didn't have a platform for that. So I started putting out articles onto the internet and just doing the research that I wanted to exist in the world, you know, sort of practical, positive ADHD research that, you know, always kind of left a feeling of hope at the end. Like this is some strategies you can use. And I put that out there and it was really supported and during the time, I'd started also volunteering with the Inclusive Learning Center at our university, helping other people with neurodiversity. And then I started working in schools because I had lots and lots of experience working with um, adults and children as part of my you know, education career. And then, yeah, when COVID hit, I, w- I ended up taking that online and then going, okay, well, what else can you do online with ADHD? I really love this field and found coaching and yeah, that's what I did. And then have developed it and added more people. That's great. I love your account. The other day, I can't remember what it was, but obviously with ADHD, a lot of it seems with the posts, they're, they're very helpful in general through social media and a lot of things that you can see and think, oh yeah, that's me. And you can see yourself in. There was one post that I shared and I normally don't share on mine verbatim and I just loved yours so much and I think that it was the pie chart and it was about getting started or a 10 minute task or something Mm -hmm. like that like all Mm -hmm. the little increments of the breakdown of what it really is like to just do a simple 10 to 15 minute task it was brilliant to me 
Yeah, yeah, thanks. I mean, we have an amazing team. You know, it's me and it's other coaches, but we also have people working behind the scenes who help with some of the stuff. And they all, you know, so many of them, we didn't even plan it, but they all have ADHD themselves as well. It's kind of a a neurodiverse organization of neurodiverse people helping neurodiverse people. And so a lot of these amazing ideas for things like that pie chart come up and, and it's very, very cool. Can you tell me more about your organization? It just keeps growing. So I have to remember we're about, you know, we've got about three coaches and myself based in the US and Australia and New Zealand. And we have about eight people working behind the scenes as well, sort of helping with administration and and also the media accounts. And they're also many of them neurodiverse have their own stories. And yeah, we all work together to kind of, you know, our idea is that we rise by lifting others. So we're trying to help improve everyone's experiences and then also kind of work together. And it's really, really fun to work with so many neurodiverse people. What was the most difficult thing about starting that organization? I think the most difficult thing was basically the coaching was pretty good. So kind of understanding how the coaching worked. I love coaching. I trained as a youthline phone counselor in New Zealand. And then I also did education for many years, like tutoring, working with adults, research. So I loved that experience. And then I hired an assistant um, who has ADHD herself, and she's amazing. If you ever do see our emails and you talk to Robin, she's great. And she really helped me. And then I think the hardest part was really understanding, okay, how do I take this? Because, you know, I started coaching and I quickly had run out of space. You know, I hadn't, but I wanted to keep helping people. I didn't want to be in a position where people were coming to us and we were sort of going, hey, we don't have spots for you anymore. You, you, we, you know, that waiting list system. I wanted to try and avoid that. So it was a case of, okay, how do we take all the research and all the education and everything that we've developed and turn it into a training program that we can help other people with ADHD train to be a coach with our organization as well. And then they can provide the same level and the same kind of support that I'm providing so that we can expand this so that you can come to our website and feel pretty confident that you'll be able to get, you know, within a month, somebody will be able to start helping you and actually start improving your life. That's incredible. You told me a little bit about how you got started into Uh wanting to create this place, this community Uh of being able to coach, but what really sparked it for you? When did you find out that you were on the right path with dealing with coaching and creating your organization? I think it was when I started talking to the people that I coached because I'd worked with, you know, I'd worked in the inclusive learning center and I'd worked with children. But when I started coaching adults, that's when it really clicked for me because there was so many things where, you know, I love organizations. So this has been a, you know, a thing when I got diagnosed, they were like, okay, you've been developing these systems for a long time. I was one of those people who overcompensated behind the scenes and then and then sort of was running and running and everyone's like oh you get things done how do you do that you know in reality I'm doing this crazy thing and and not even realizing what it's about and then when I worked with adults with ADHD it's realizing wow we all are so similar no matter where we live in the world you know our way of thinking is so similar and while I try to explain my systems to people who are neurotypical and they've been like okay I don't know why you do that but whatever to working with adults with ADHD, it's like 
I understood, we understood each other so instinctively and we would, you know, be on a Zoom call talking really fast and it wouldn't matter. And, you know, people would say, oh, sorry, I'm, I know I'm, you know, talking a lot. And I'm like, it's fine. You know, I love this. Like, let's write things down. Let's figure this out. And that was really what did it. I feel like so often, though, just like you're saying, you're talking so fast with each other that outside of the neurodiverse community, I feel like people talk at me. And even Mm -hmm. times I talk at people, but Mm -hmm. it's been very interesting, like you said, getting to know other people with ADHD, that I really feel like I'm talking with them about Mm -hmm. content, right? And even if they interrupt and we go off down these little rabbit holes in every which way, I genuinely Mm -hmm. enjoy the conversation and the pace and where it always takes us. Yeah. Yeah. It's truly an incredible community. And I'm, I personally am so thankful that I found it a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, same. And there is actually some research to back that up. You know, they found that neurodiverse people communicate well with each other and neurotypicals communicate well with each other. But then sometimes that connection between the two groups is what is where the missing pieces can be. And it's a bit harder to sometimes there's more miscommunication. I have a good friend of mine that she's not diagnosed, but she matches me. Like, I feel like she's a very good reflection of myself. I see a lot of me and her and vice versa. And she always comments that when we're having a conversation or I'm telling her something and I never realized it. But one of the things that I will say when I'm talking to someone is, does that make sense? And she said, I've never had anyone pause. And make sure that I'm up to where our conversation is going. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's part of the reason why we communicate so well with each other. Mm-hmm. Because we generally make sure that the other person hasn't zoned out. Or we keep them with the Oh, yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. 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 What has been, since you started coaching, what has been one of your most heartfelt stories that you just really hit you in your soul and you felt like, I'm really doing uh, a great thing here. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think without sort of getting too much in the personal details of people's experiences, there have been some situations where people have come and said, hey, I haven't been achieving this particular thing that I want to achieve. You know, I have been trying to achieve it. It hasn't been happening. And I'm sort of coming to you as a last ditch effort. You know, I'm just going to try it, you know, kind of thing. Sort of a, sometimes a little bit of, you know, well, we'll see. <laughs> you know, I've tried things before. We'll see. And then working with people and having them achieve that goal, even though as a coach, I'm always very much like, no matter what happens, it's about learning the systems and you're going to be okay. You know, you know, kind of helping them through that process if they're trying to sort of achieve something particular, but then having them go like, okay, wow, my life is getting better. And I kind of didn't believe you when I started. That's kind of the, those moments when you sort of just, yeah, you leave a call and you're just like, yes. (laughs) From your opinion, what do you feel like is one of the biggest disconnects between ADHD individuals and their own personal community or society. Like what you is mean, something that really makes it difficult for ADHD people? Right, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, I have disclosed that I have ADHD at work and my workplace wants to help. 
And I have no idea what that help would even look like. And that can be a big disconnect. It's not even just, I know that I need this thing to help myself with ADHD. And therefore I've been trying to ask my workplace for it and they haven't been giving it to me. Sometimes that's the case, but often it's also just, I found out I have ADHD. I don't know what that is, but I've been in a situation where I've disclosed it for work or it's, I've sort of had to disclose it for some reason and they don't know what it is. So now we're both, you know, so, so they're sort of going, well, do you want this? And, and I'm going, and the client's going, uh, maybe, I don't know. Like, you know, we're going to have to test it. We're going to have to figure it out. I'm not sure how it works. So, so that can be a big problem is actually just not even knowing what works for you yet, because everything you've learned has been from a neurotypical lens and some of it works and some of it doesn't. And some of it sometimes works and sometimes it doesn't. And you just don't know why any of these things are happening. I understand that completely. I think it is difficult too with open-ended questions on needs for Mm -hmm. those of us with ADHD. I mean, obviously I'm not speaking for everyone, but I have noticed a pattern, but just like if when I was dating again after my uh, divorce years ago, and I remember people would say, oh, what do you like to do for fun? I have no idea what I like to do for fun, <laughs> even though I do fun things in my free time all the time. But I'm like, I, I, I have no idea. And it's just so difficult to even come up with the things that I do on a weekly basis or so mm-hmm. I, I can only imagine how difficult it would be knowing that there is a problem, but not knowing the solution because you don't truly know the details of the problem. Like what can change uh, mm-hmm. the environment to make it more conducive for a neurodivergent brain? Yeah, exactly. And it's funny you should mention what we do for fun because I always say, you know, we take fun very seriously at, at our organization because understanding dopamine and understanding what your dopamine is and all the different types you can have is, is very much a part of what we do. And sometimes it is a case of going, I don't know what I do for fun. I don't, or I don't do anything fun as it turns out. I spend a lot of time, you know, some people are like, well, I work. And then if you're bad about not working enough, so I work some more and then I burn out and that's my process. Yeah, because there's so much guilt associated with existing. It's interesting to me because I was talking to someone, uh, I think it was probably on like a post in the conversation thread and we were talking about sleep. And on days that I work, I normally sleep maybe four and a half hours. Normally it's less than five hours. And if I, I have one day where I kind of catch up Mm -hmm. and I sleep a total of eight hours, I feel so guilty. I wake up feeling so much guilt. And Mm -hmm. I think not just the the sleep part, but if we're not being what everyone else considers productive majority Mm -hmm. of the time, then there's so much guilt that we put on ourselves when we would never do that to another person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the guilt conversation is quite interesting. I mean, it's slightly different, but one of the things that we know, again, from the research is that when you're, you know, ADHD, often we have a lot more, we have more self-criticism, at least some studies indicate we have more self-criticism than neurotypicals. And there's a reason, you know, potential reasons for that is that we receive more criticism growing up, not even from people who are, you know, negative. It's more just, it can be even well-meaning, just understanding like, hey, this is a normal way to do things or a neurotypical way to do things. And you're deviating from that. So I'm just going to help you go back into this neurotypical way of doing things 
And that over time can affect how you see yourself and can affect how you interact with the world and the tasks that you want to do. Absolutely. What situations do you find, especially in in the academic setting with all of the education that you have gone through, what was the most difficult area with you having ADHD to actually accomplish those huge goals that you had for yourself? That's such an easy answer. <laughs> it was administrative work, a hundred percent. I would rather write so many articles than do any administration work. And it was always the case. And it still is, you know, I talk to my supervisors and I'm like, writing is great. Researching is great. But that form I have to fill out to get that thing that doesn't seem very important. Like it's a five minute task for everyone else. That is my Everest. That is the thing that I struggle with the most because something will go wrong with it. It's not, or it's, you know, it's boring and I have to find another document for it. And that can be so, I I found that's really common experience for a lot of people with ADHD. Sure. Even as a nurse, I hate charting. Mm -hmm. I am good with technology most of the time. But, and I will be in a patient's room for the entire 12 hours of the shift, like changing up the the drips and doing all of the the very minute details and keeping up with all of that stuff. But the minute that I have to sit down and just put it all into the computer is, it's like pulling teeth to get me to do it. I hate it so very much. It never looks good. It's always (laughs) something missing. I don't do it well. It's terrible. So Knowing that you have ADHD, what is the most proud accomplishment that you have in your life, especially because you know how difficult it is with your brain that you were actually able to achieve this accomplishment? I think it's probably finishing my master's, although at the time I didn't know I had ADHD. So it didn't feel like an ADHD win specifically, but now looking back, finishing it and the amount of work that was involved in editing it and doing all those final detail pieces of work, you know, the formatting and the grammar and all that kind of stuff and and then handing it in, it was a lot more than I really realized at the time. Um, in fact, I took a year off, I was like burnt out. But so I, you know, would see and try and do it in more maintainable ways in the future. But I definitely think that, that yeah, handing that in, ha- handing in a piece of work, I think is, is the biggest. Yeah. That's incredible. Do you have family members who also have ADHD, even if they're undiagnosed? Undiagnosed potentially, but no one else is diagnosed. But my partner does have, you know, family members that are diagnosed. So yeah, it's definitely, I think it's a new thing being diagnosed as an adult. More and more people are saying like, oh, you know, more people in my social circle are like, maybe I have it, you know, now that we're having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like the family members who dealt with similar struggles and frustrations that maybe they found ways that they were able to accomplish certain things did they have like for instance my I was terrible at math problems Uh, memory was obviously uh, memory was pretty bad for me memorization of some things and so my mom would turn like when I was learning capitals she Uh turned 
I could remember like Little Rock, Arkansas, and she turned it into a song. So when the test came, I could remember there was a song that correlated with it. Mm -hmm. Did you have those family members that had ways that helped them that they learned growing up during difficult times? Yeah, interesting. I can't think of anything specifically, but I do know that for myself, I definitely like used a lot of those and I was taught those by my parents. So that might be connection there. Definitely, especially with math problems. But then I also have potentially dyscalculia as well. So that kind of definitely had an effect. So there was a lot of monomics and other, you know, forms of studying going on. But actually in psychology, one of the best things that happened was if you are in first year psychology, which I was, they teach you how to study in the first year. So they teach you about all of the different methods of studying, like you just mentioned with the songs and the pictures and everything like that. And that was, I think, the most helpful for kind of understanding, oh, okay, like, let's try these methods. That is fantastic. Yeah, very helpful. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just thinking, I wish that, I knew that I had very high test anxiety. We had to take that test, but they did give us resources after they gave us that quote unquote diagnosis it was like yep you have a lot of anxiety so uh good mm-hmm. luck <laughs> mm-hmm. Really bizarre. when we talk about coaching I've interviewed on the podcast I think two other coaches but we didn't talk as much about details of like do you have a focus in your coaching like how does that work how does being an ADHD coach work yeah It's a good question. I mean, our coaching is specific to us, so I couldn't speak for coaching in general, but our focus is very much on understanding. So we have a process where we go from, okay, what are your long-term goals? We develop those with you and we kind of help. We actually have a survey that you go through to kind of help you figure that out as well because most people just come and they're like, help, (laughs) that's my goal. And we just try and look at the bigger struggles that you have with ADHD. So that will be time blindness, working memory, dopamine and then transition times and other things as well but those are kind of the big ones so we look at sort of how the struggles you are having are affected by these ADHD factors and then from there we look at okay what tends to work for people with ADHD so we have a lot of systems some of which we've got from other people like the dopamine use some of which we've developed ourselves like the get in focus routine and they're all sort of research backed which is a huge part of what we do. And then we go into an experimentation phase where you work with your coach. You develop very specific systems for yourself. You come back in a following week and you say, this worked, this didn't work. And that experimentation phase is really important because with ADHD, what can happen so often is that you'll go, this is great, awesome, implement, then something happens and the whole thing goes out the window. So we try and be there to help you make something what we call crunchy so that it can you know, work in different times and with different situations. So it doesn't fall off the map. How long does the experiment phase last? It really depends on how long it takes you. So we will go, we'll do anything from evening routines and morning routines to, you know, we might help a teacher develop a planning system for her whole year, for their whole year. So so that can happen and that can take a long time or, you know, we can help a professor organize their timeline and their schedule. So it really depends on what you want help with. Okay. That's very fascinating. Do you feel like you, you, Sky in particular, 
have one area that is a strength that you can communicate best about, whether it's time blindness, whether it's rejection sensitivity, or like, is there one area that you feel strongest in coaching? I think probably dopamine. That's probably the biggest one, just because it's the one that throughout everything, dopamine is a huge, important factor. Yeah. What made you find that dopamine was that big of a factor? I mean, I know research and um, all the things with substance use disorders and Mm -hmm. such, Mm -hmm. um, but what really made that click to you? Just what, what I found through working with clients, and like you said, there's research and things like that as well, is that if you develop, say, a morning routine, but you don't put dopamine in it, like different forms of stimulation, different fun activities, that do- that morning routine isn't happening. You know, And it's the same with the evening routine, and it's the same with the get-in-focused routine. Sprinkling that dopamine throughout your day is what helps you actually want to get out of bed or feel like you've had enough fun in your day that you might go to sleep at the end of it or feel like you could get to your desk because actually you're going to sit down with a coffee and watch a video before you even get started. So it's just that it's just helping move you through everything you have to do. Yeah, I found that as well with studying because I started last semester in the fall back after taking about 10 years off because I would I'd like to become a medical doctor. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you know, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, but physics was my first class that I took after not being in a classroom and trying to figure out how to study. One, I'm medicated now, and that played a huge role, I believe, because I was able to make an A in the class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but like having to sit down and learn that I need to reward myself after, you know, like during my five minute break, maybe I'm going to go get a cup of coffee or same yeah. thing. Just, yeah. It is wild to me that these aren't things that I knew my entire life growing up. And I have three college degrees, but the struggle was so much harder then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Not knowing those things. And so yeah. I, I agree how I think it's incredible that you figured out how to help people put it in bits of their daily routine to be able to not just do well, but to really thrive in their days. Yeah, it it makes a difference. It's amazing watching people be like, oh, I actually did that task because I had all of this dopamine. And people say to me, you know, it's funny you mentioned rewards. People say to me like, oh, well, you know, after I do this huge thing, then I'll do something fun. And it's like, no, do something fun at the beginning when you get started. Increase the stimulation while you're doing it with some fidget toys or some music or something to drink or eat or whatever it is. And then give yourself a break afterwards, you know, make the whole thing more stimulating. Mm -hmm. And I've been a big preacher of celebrating all the small victories. Mm -hmm. Instead of, I I feel like we don't allow ourselves to be proud of Mm -hmm. even the small accomplishments, Mm -hmm. uh, just like I was saying with Gil earlier. But I think that it's so important for us to recognize the good things that we do, because so often we won't allow ourselves to really shine for whatever reason Mm -hmm. that there's some type of shame connected to it. Mm -hmm. But I am such a big push like, Oh, you did great on one homework assignment. Then 
you need to reward yourself for it. You don't, like you said, you don't have to wait till the end of the semester when you do well to actually pat yourself on the back. Yeah. And rewards can be anything. You know, one of the pieces of one of the articles we have is an example. We asked everyone to give us examples, all our clients, their dopamine. And it's amazing what what it is fun for people, you know, they might say like, I I went outside and I sat in the sun and I read something for a minute or some people like want to do some movement. You know, it doesn't have to be what you think of as a reward. People are like, well, I can't reward myself. I'd run out of money or something like that. And you're like, no, it can be so many different things. It's and learning what you like, as you said before, is, is a huge part of that. How long ago did you develop your organization? So I developed the organization at the beginning of the pandemic. So (laughs) that long, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's over two years. So that's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really grown in two years that much. Yeah, it's it's been crazy. It's it's been amazing. And and we've just been trying to, you know, keep up basically with everything and build the organization as people come through. But yeah, it's been around for, I guess, two and a half years now, maybe, maybe two years. Yeah. How have you found your coaches? That's probably the hardest thing we do is find the coaches because we're trying to find people who have experience working with people. They want to, you know, become a coach. We do the training ourselves and they have, and then it's, yeah, it's a case of, of putting them through that training and then putting them through, they become trainee coaches. They do that series you know process then that once they get reviews from those trainee clients some of whom have worked with us before actually so they have an idea that that's a good one and then eventually they become a coach so it takes a while it's quite a long process and it's really about finding people who who are passionate about helping people and research so that combination and a very you know love talking to people curious about people because at the end of the day you're sitting down with someone and you might be going through their you know every single detail from you know I go to bathroom and I brush my teeth and then I go to the kitchen you're thinking okay when you go to the kitchen what do you do at that point you know that kind of level is sometimes what we're talking about with coaching that's amazing and fantastic where did you come up with the structure for your organization because I mean in two and a half years it sounds like the way that it is structured is really amazing. So how did Thanks. you go with that? Yeah, it was a combination of, of being an academic for a while. So having a really like very confident on the research side of everything. And then, as I said, I was a youthline phone counselor and I studied, yeah, I did, I actually was initially going to be a clinical psychologist when I was younger. So I went through that process and the process of of phone counseling, which is very similar. You go through personal development, you go through training, you become a trainee phone counselor, then you work with triage. And so I, I really took that process, which I thought was really amazing and really, you know, supported everyone the whole way, you know, the coaches, the clients, the people on the phone. And so I, I sort of took that process and developed it for an online space for an, and for a neurodiverse space because things are slightly different in that context. And and yeah, that's what we've been doing. That's fantastic. I didn't know if it was based on like a business model uh, or, but I guess I can certainly see how loving research and I mean, anything that we get passionate about or wanting to create, we probably mm-hmm. know every single small 
detail of what has been successful for others or like what has been fail pits, you know, uh-huh. like over here. Uh-huh. So that's fantastic. You were saying that when you were younger, you wanted to be a clinical psychologist. Is that uh-huh. what you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you feel that what you do now is actually better for you and that you are more happy, more internally at peace? I don't know the right words I'm trying to look for by what you've created and what yeah. you do now. Yeah, I love that question, actually, because often people are like, oh, what happened there? But you're right. I love what I do now. Clinical psychology, initially, I wanted to work one-on-one with people. I, I love talking to people. I'm very, you know, curious and that kind of thing. But I think, you know, I have so much respect for what therapists and counselors and clinical psychologists do because they work with people's emotions. And we are very, very clear when we talk. We, we don't work in emotional, in the emotional space, you know, deep feelings. We might talk about perfectionism or, or spotlight. Hey, this seems to be a thing, an emotional thing that you might want to bring to therapy. We can help with that. But we very much talk about sort of that sense of like, okay, I want to do these things. Sometimes it's even like my therapist said I should do more of this particular type of breathing. And I I don't, but I'm not doing it. I'm just not making those changes in my life in some form and helping people practically make those changes is something I feel really passionate about. I love seeing people go, I got up in the morning that happened, you know, or I handed in, you know, we had someone saying, you know, I handed in my teaching notes early for the first time in my entire teaching career, you know, and that stuff just really, really makes me, I love that kind of thing. You just pretty much answered too. I was going to ask what the difference was for someone who's listening and they may not really understand what's the difference between an ADHD coach versus Uh a therapist that is that works with ADHD individuals often but from what you just said a therapist is more on the emotional side and you know, uh-huh. they also give tasks or sometimes uh-huh. homework quote-unquote yeah. to do to yeah. try to yeah. help but whereas you give more of a structured format for things that you are told that need to change or where there's difficulties uh-huh. to really start checking off those boxes specifically to help them accomplish that goal yeah yeah exactly and you know therapists are all different and you know coaches are all different but that's definitely what I've seen as the difference and you know we yeah very much focused on helping you make those practical changes and sometimes we just we'll just get in the weeds with you you know what I mean if you're like I have a PhD that I need to finish help and we'll just come in and we'll know everything about your, we'll know as much about the admin side of what you do as you do and we'll help you pull out all those bits that are blocking you. And so that's very much what we do. Do you think that it helps you with being a coach, starting this organization, having all of the background in psychology as well? Because there's a lot of coaches that they didn't take psychology in college, that mm-hmm. they didn't have a, a neuro focus on a lot of their academics. How do you think that that has helped you be even better for Sky as a coach? I think that's been really helpful. I think it's hard for me to even understand how helpful it's been. Sometimes I know when I talk to other people and I'll just be like, oh, because of this thing, obviously, you know, and people are like, oh, I didn't, I don't know that. I think because when I was younger, I learned, 
I have an honours in psychology and then I also did a master's in sociology and a few postgrads and something else. I have ADHD. I don't know if you know this. I did a lot of different, <laughs> different university things. And so, you know, having that understanding of people, which was always what I was super fascinated about, can help me just understand, you know, have that real baseline of, of, okay, that's where we're starting from and then building on that versus kind of retrospectively having to bring in, you know, empathetic listening and understanding about, like you said, like different ways of learning, all those kinds of things. I feel like ADHD coaching, which if I'm wrong, I don't want to upset anyone, but I feel like you take a a quote unquote soft science and turn it into something more tangible with being able, you know, like the tasks and things that people have to see and touch and do to accomplish and not just the knowledge side of it. I love neuro. I was neuro IC nurse for about 10 years before I switched the brain. It's just so fascinating to me. And because you did so much with psychology, you know who Phineas Gage is? Yep. Yep. Okay. You know, a lot of nurses and in the neuro ICU, they do not know who he is. But when I, right, isn't that wild? When I was in Boston at one of the hospitals that I worked at in Massachusetts, at the Harvard uh, Library, they had this museum at the very top Mm -hmm. and they have the skull of Phineas Gage there. And I got to see it. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. No, I remember learning about that. I loved neuroscience as well. I almost went into neuroscience because I did it. My honors, I included some neuroscience as well. And it's just so fascinating. It's such a, this is a bit of a aside from coaching. I'm sorry, but you know how it goes. But I loved the realize it's like such a new frontier, the brain like realizing at least that's what we were taught. We were taught, you know, it's this new area we know so little about. And we do bring in some understanding, at least I do, of neuroscience into the coaching, just the background, like you said, just knowing, oh, you know, this is the frontal lobe and this is the, you know, cerebellum and kind of knowing that kind of stuff just helps with, you know, training other people about how to do coaching and that kind of thing. I also feel like it makes those of us who really enjoy neuroscience, I feel like it makes us a bit more intuitive with people who are experiencing some things. Like I know with working in the neuro ICU and having a patient, I felt such a connection with this patient who couldn't talk to me. They had no idea where they were. They were super impulsive, mm-hmm. but I, I can't even formulate the proper words to describe that connection that I felt that I could almost anticipate some things that was going on with them that I feel like a lot of other people would easily miss. But I think that it's just because we just dive so deep into those types of things. And I can only imagine what that's like as an ADHD coach and that I am willing to bet you probably formulate very strong connections with the people that you coach yeah, I think, well, I think it's, that's the connections that we formulate is very much to do with the fact that we all have ADHD. So if you want to talk about neurological differences, you know, we know that there are neurological differences for people who have ADHD. They've done the research on that. So whatever that means, what that comes out as is like, I get you and you get me yeah. and that feeling. <laughs> 
can you tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find sites, social media presence, and all of that? And I'll also add it in the show notes, but I want you to tell everyone too. Awesome. Yeah, you can find us at unconventionalorganization.com and you can find us at Unconventional Organization on Instagram and Facebook as well. On our website, we have articles that you can read where we have, you know, we include a lot of the things that we talk about in coaching, the get and focus routine, the dopamine, all of those kinds of things. Those are just for free up on our website. We also have online courses that you can do and we have the um, one-on-one coaching that you can just go online, book something. It's already set up in your time zones. Just pick a time on the calendar. It's all very ADHD friendly. And yeah, one of our coaches will chat with you. And your Instagram account, since you know, that's how you and I mm-hmm. connected. What type of information do you put up there too? So what we do is we take the information from the articles and we try and format it in a really fun Instagram friendly way. So we'll have the um, carousels that you'll see where we'll go through ADHD and sleep, ADHD and dopamine. And you can get that very quick sort of, oh, yep, that makes sense. I can use that right now. And then we also have sort of memes and things that we, like you said, the the pie charts and things that are kind of a combination of information, but also just a sense of like, oh, yep, I get that. That's me. Like, you know, that feeling. We do, we try and do a little bit of both and then also just connecting with people because, yeah, we just want it to be a really fun, but also helpful space. If somebody wants to reach out, talk to someone, And you said they can book an appointment through mm-hmm. the website that you provided mm-hmm. that'll also be in the show notes, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. And if you could give any token of encouragement, you know, somebody who's listening to this with ADHD and they may just be having a, a tough time existing in a neurotypical world, what would be mm-hmm. the dose of encouragement that you would leave for them? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest piece of encouragement I'd say is that no matter what it seems like, you're working incredibly hard. So many people with ADHD that I meet, they feel like they're not achieving. But when we talk it through, they're working so hard. It's just not necessarily going in the right direction or on the right things. And so, you know, you have the energy, you have the enthusiasm to do what you want. It's just about shifting your focus a little bit to, to get to that space. But yeah, you're working harder than you think you are. is definitely one of the things that I would say. Well, thank you so much, Sky, for taking the time to get on here and talk to all of us on this podcast. And also, again, I really want to thank you for being so flexible and rolling with today. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm very grateful for you. And I'm grateful for you taking the time for me and for all of us who are listening right now. Yeah, no problem. I'm really happy to be here. If you would like to contribute to this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the neurodivergent nurse, where you can get exclusive bonus episodes, scripted the show prior to the release, uncut video interviews of the guests, input on upcoming shows and ideas, and even more. Also, be sure to follow the neurodivergent nurse on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with someone that you think could also benefit from the neurodivergent nurse. And go ahead while you have time and while you're thinking about it and rate it and leave a review five stars on your favorite listening platform so that other people can find the show easily as well and 
I hope you have a wonderful week and I can't wait to talk to you again.